Ron and Anian. Sometimes auto repair is a gut call. All right, brother? It's yeah. Sometimes sometimes you're going to kiss it with the air gun, and, you know, you're going to keep an eye on it. The Car Doctor. I'm not proposing to fix it, but my concern is you're in Wisconsin. It's not exactly spring, and we're going to let your grandson drive it, and we don't want to get him stuck somewhere in a snowstorm. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. You know, it's just a busy, busy day here at the Car Doctor, so I'm not going to give you a long, big-winded speech about kicking the hour off. Let's. Uh, there's a bunch of things I'm going to try and talk about this hour, but more importantly, the phones are backed up. Roger in Florida, 2013 Suburban. How can I help you, sir? Welcome to the Car Doctor. Hey, Ron, thank you. Thank you for uh, all the education you give to us every week. I enjoy listening to you and, and getting educated by you every week. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here for you. What's going on? Um, my, my Suburban 5.3 2013 has got a code P015D Delta. Right. And uh, so I threw a scanner on it and, and saw what that was. And um, sensor delayed response, O2 sensor delayed response, uh, lean to bridge bank 2, sensor 1. Right, pre-cat, so up, up, upstream, right, upstream sensor, bank 2. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, threw my, so I went under it, and um, all the wiring going to the sensors looks fine. I have no exhaust leaks uh, or anything like that. So I went ahead and I reset it. And it's been clear for probably a good three months now. So I'm guessing it might have been just something weird and it, it's one along and it's fine. So I just wanted to, you know, to see if, exactly what is that trying to tell me when it says delayed response. And then a follow-up question to that would be, as a routine maintenance item, should you replace your O2 sensors? For example, mine on my Suburban are like 35 bucks a piece, so it's not a lot of money to do it. Okay. Let's start, let's start at the beginning. First of all, uh, 15D is delayed response bank 2 sensor 1. So what it's saying is the O2 sensor has to cross the midpoint threshold. All right, and for sake of conversation, it's 0.5, half a volt, five-tenths of a volt is the middle. It has to cross that threshold so many times per, per second or per millisecond, actually, um, in OBD2 language, to satisfy the computer's uh, you know, programming. So it knows that, hey, it's, it's an active sensor. So, you know, you cleared it, and it went away, and you haven't seen it repeat. Okay. How do you know that that sensor is not marginal? Well, one of the things you could do is, does your, does your scan tool read data stream? It does, yes. Okay, so let's go look at fuel trims. Are, are fuel okay. trims equal or close to equal bank to bank? If, if two is starting to skew out of the range of normal, and, you know, a normal fuel trim I'll expect on a seven, eight-year-old vehicle, depending upon if it's had fuel system cleaning, what sort of maintenance it's had, my guess is it's had some, is, you know, you're going to see bank one probably, eh, you're going to see long-term fuel trim, 4 or 5%, short-term fuel trim pretty tight, uh, zero plus or minus 5%, something like that. So if I start to see things skewed where long-term is 10, 12%, bank two, and bank one is down around that 4 or 5% long-term number, uh, that's quite a difference. It's building. It just hasn't gotten to the threshold where it says it's a problem. So, gotcha. you know, go look at fuel trim. Fuel trim the same side to side. 
And that's that's one of the first early early indicators. Here's a classic example of using a scan tool. We would bring both PIDs, both pieces of data up, and graph them. Do they graph the same? Theoretically, you've got two four-cylinder engines melted together in the middle as a V8. They should run the same bank-to-bank, all things being efficient and equal. So that's 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 one indicator. You know, how does the O2 stack up against the other? You could definitely graph the two of them, look at their signal, look at how they're responding between each other. You know, because you've got a good part on the car; it's the other side. Always look at the other side, right? right? And and okay. you know, how is that sensor reacting? Now, when you say a new one's thirty-five bucks, uh, what brand is that? Actually, I saw an AC Delco uh, brand that I could get. Okay. As long as it's real AC Delco, I have no problem oh, with that. Too. You know, and that's right. you know, is it was it online that you found it? Correct. Yeah, just watch. You know, some of the stuff online is bogus. I don't, I, I don't care how hard we look at it. Heck, I heard a story. I heard a story the other week that one of the local supply houses swore they were original General Motors power window regulators. And push came to shove, and, and what they found out is somebody in China manufactured and infringed on GM's trademark and logo, stamped the box the same, stamped the part the same. Heck, the rivets even looked the same as the way I heard the conversation. And, uh, you know, it was bogus stuff. So just, just be sure of where you're getting it from. Is it returnable? Okay. I'm not saying not to, just you've got to be certain. You know, there's a huge difference between that online guy and what his overhead is versus O'Reilly Auto Parts, for example, and what they have to go through to maintain, you know, their overhead. At least, at least with a person at the counter, if it's ten bucks difference, fifteen bucks difference, you've got somebody to go back and talk to. Try doing that on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always say, gotcha. buy parts from China. Try suing China. Let me know how that works out for you. Uh, you know, that yeah. that just doesn't work. Now, the the one thing I want to mention about P zero fifteen D, you know, what you can do is. Uh, you know, is the sensor active? I have seen, the, does the problem, well, you haven't had the problem in three months, right? Yes, correct. I, I have seen some issues in the rain, all right, where the rain affects it, and when you start to trace out the wiring harness, you will find corrosion inside a harness connector, uh, driver's side, over by the driver's side under the battery tray box, but... I don't know that I want you to go start taking all this apart if the problem doesn't come back and everything looks normal. We have also solved this problem, and this is right out of GM, right out of some of the databases too, that adding a ground wire, a ground to the tan wire, will also help improve ground connectivity and help improve O2 sensor response rate as well. Okay. All right? So just uh, just some things to go look at and some things to think about. All right, sir? All right, so the vehicle's... Yeah, and the vehicle's got like 130,000 miles on it. I want to have it for a long time. I love the truck. Okay. It is a maintenance thing. Should somebody replace the oxygen sensors then? Um, it just is a maintenance item. Now, um, do I change O2s as a maintenance item? Generally, no. All right? I, okay. I, 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 I hear about it in the industry, and I see guys doing it, saying it. Yes, they do. You know, there's, and it's not that it's, it's, it's a bad thing or a good thing. You know, my feeling is it's working. Leave it alone. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But but I got to tell you. So all right, so I have to tell you this story. I had I had lunch or dinner um, with one of my fellow former employees, Chris, who's now a national trainer for Automotive Training Group. A couple of weeks back, and 
we were talking about circumstances with cars and how they break, and he was telling me stories about, you know, cars with 70,000 miles on it, and they've got bad injectors, or they've, they're doing engines at 90 because of carbon deposits or because of varnished-up piston rings and all these. And I'm like, Chris, I just don't, I don't see that stuff at that age and mileage. And he said, yeah, do you know why? And I said, why is that? Because you're doing the maintenance. He says you're selling maintenance to your customers and you're taking care of the fleet that way. He goes, the guys that don't do the maintenance are the guys that are, you know, the car runs good, first 150, 200,000 miles, and all of a sudden, you know, somewhere in that 100 to 200,000 mile range, things start to fall apart, if not sooner. So he said oil change intervals have a lot to do with it from the reports he's reading. And yeah, and I get it. I agree with him. My, my, my point to you that I'm going the long way around the barn to make, and I apologize, is... You know, have you ever done a real carbon cleaning? Have you ever do you use a fuel system additive on a regular basis? Yeah, I do actually. Yes. You know, and that's and that's and that's all good for it, and that will and that will help promote you know O2 sensor life, and that'll help promote catalytic converter life. Now, just this week, matter of fact, yesterday in the shop, Friday, I did four cats. I did a whole exhaust system on a 2006 Nissan Frontier. I'm not sure why, but this is what the customer wants to drive. So Ron's job is to just, you know, do the job. I got the cats out, cut everything up, put four cats on the whole exhaust system. Did I change the O2s? Absolutely. Were they working? Absolutely. Why did I change them? A, they were rusted into the pipes, and they were going to be a chore to get out. But more importantly, the customer's like, why don't we start with fresh sensors and fresh cats? And I get that, and that makes sense to me. Uh, you know, so in that instance, I will put O2s and air fuel sensors on. Uh, because I want to ensure that everything is working. I don't want to give any cat, anything, a marginal opportunity to become a failure anytime in the next three to five years. And and, and I think that's the perspective I have. You, you know, Roger, I kind of take the, the idea that it's a system. I repair things as a system. I look at things as a system. If I'm changing a water pump, I do a hose. If I'm changing a cat, I'm doing an O2. If the, cat, if the O2 goes bad, yeah, I'll put an O2 on it. But... You know, I try to look at things and group them together, and I also think about labor costs. If your O2s are easy to get to and you find one's kind of sluggish and the other one's chugging along, I'd change them both, but I'd make sure I'd be using a good quality Delco part. Does that make sense? Does that help you? makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate it, Ron. You're, you're very welcome, Roger. Good luck to you and yours, and uh, have a good rest of the weekend. 855-560-9900, the Cardoctors Cruise and back. Don't go away. It on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Isaac in Minnesota. Isaac, what's going on? 97 Toyota Camry. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Well, first off, I was just calling to kind of update you. I called in on this car, oh, I don't know, a couple months ago regarding the idle air control valve. Thinking I had a uh, 2001 in there and it was throwing the, the idle off and uh I put a 97 in it, and that fixed it. So right. I appreciate your insight on that, and now You're it's welcome. running well. You're welcome, sir. What's going on today? So real quick, two things related to uh, it's getting a little colder up here in the north as well as I know on, on the east coast as well. And uh, with this vehicle, it starts up fine, runs fine. Um, but I want to get your opinion on one thing real quick regarding a block heater. This summer and spring, I'm planning on doing some work on the car since it's a little older, and one thing I was considering is putting a block heater in it just to, you know, give it a little extra encouragement in the mornings when I start it, because it, it does sit outside since I only have a one-and-a-half-car garage and I'm right. married, so yep, my yep, car yep, sits outside. Yep. Um, I, I like the idea. 
You know what? It's a um, and again, it it kind of proves what I've always thought to myself that auto repair and maintaining an automobile is a regional phenomenon with national you know national results. Uh, the guy in Florida doesn't care about the block heater, but the guy in Minnesota sure does. Uh, you know, so yeah, I could see it. Um, I could definitely see it. I've got a little block heater, in my little Ranger with two hundred, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen thousand miles on it. We use it sporadically. We don't use it a lot, but we'll definitely let it warm up when we don't. Uh, you know, but yeah, why not? You know, it's an uh, inexpensive enough kit. I would do it. Okay, right. and then the other real quick thing I've noticed is since now it's getting colder, and when I take it on short trips, when I say short trip, you know, start it up and drive it you know, five, ten minutes to the local store and then, you know, go ahead and put it in park and turn it off. Um, sometimes the ignition cylinder won't turn all the way over. So the engine will turn off, but it won't turn over to release the key. And what I actually have to do is let the car sit for 10 to 15 minutes for the interior to actually warm up. And then it'll release the key. So I'm wondering if it's just a bad ignition cylinder or something else is going on and it, yeah. it, like if it only happens when it's colder out i've got to think that's a bad ignition cylinder it, you know either there's uh, have you owned the car since new isaac no no like i said i picked this thing up in april so i'm kind of working through things right slowly here you know it's it's so so here you are in your first winter and, and and guess yep. what? It's got a cold weather problem. So maybe the last person loaded it up with some kind of you know lubricant or solvent or some miracle ma- magic miracle whiz, you know, guaranteed to fix whatever ails you. And you know now that it's cold out, it's just it's gumming it up and it's it's making it worse. I've got to think that that's a a a lock cylinder unto itself. So I would you know. Either you're going to take that one out and try soaking in a solution, maybe take it to a locksmith. Can they clean it and make sure the tumblers are in good working order? Or are you going to replace that lock cylinder and avoid the problem? Because you know when it gets cold, and it's going to get a lot colder up there for you as well as the rest of the country in most places, uh, you know, when that thing, you know, when it when it hits 20 below, like it will in Minnesota, right, in St. Paul, yep. you know, it's it's you're going to depend on that key, and it's going to go, snap, oops, Um and, and that's a problem. So, uh, you know, global warming hasn't really come to St. Paul, Minnesota yet, has it? No, not. It, it'd be nice if a little bit of it came over here. Well, we yeah. wouldn't complain. If it's there, yeah. I uh, I still, and I talk about this all the time, but I still remember the last visit I had to St. Paul, oh, probably 15, 18 years ago, walking through downtown St. Paul, and you look up and all the buildings, you know, above 10 floors are connected by catwalks. And you know, oh, yeah. so, so, people yeah. don't, so people don't have to walk outside. That's how cold it is there. That's as my my grandpa always told me when I was growing up. I said, you know, people that live up here in the north in the cold, you know, we live longer, don't you? And I said, really? And he said, no, nah, it just feels like we do. Well, yeah, just yeah, so. just that's right. Well, I remember, you know, I came out to um, St. Paul. We we came into uh, the airport and they drove me down to Owatonna. I visited the folks at OTC Tools at the time. Oh uh, yeah, and, I, I got family in Owatonna. Okay, and we're we're driving down whatever that main road is from uh, St. Paul and. You know, it sure is flat there, and it sure is wide open. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I, I remember saying this. You know, we were kind of kidding around, and I said, you know, I said, the weather up here must be pretty harsh. And he said, why? And I said, well, I said, you know, this is where the Plains Indians lived. And I said, I don't see any of them around. And he said, well, yeah, that was 200 years ago. I said, either that or the weather took them all. Um, but, but, you know, more importantly, and really, the the front of the houses, and I we talk about this every year, I think, it seems, that they've got a stick to the front of the house. 
And my understanding is, and I've heard it two different ways now, I've heard it that it helps the fire department find the house in the event of an emergency because there's so much snow. And it also helps you find the front door should you ever leave your house and the drifting snow piles up so much that you can't find it. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's both. It, 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 it's mainly for snow plows for the, for the most part. Yeah. So they know where hydrants are and they're not going right. to run into them. But, yeah, right. I mean, it, it, it's kind of for everybody. Yeah, we, we've but, got them all over. Yeah, the place. but it's, it's, I, I see the stick. I saw the stick at the front door of the house and I was I was like completely impressed. But and you yeah, know, and, that and depends I, where you're at. Yeah, it does. And 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 I want to make this point too, Isaac, and to your to your cold weather question too. So I'm reading this week that in New Jersey they're they're thinking about enforcing the ban that if you idle the car longer than three minutes, you're not allowed to. You deserve a ticket, and so on and so forth. You know, I, I've got to make a public statement. And if anybody wants to contradict it, I'm more than glad to give them the forum. You know, I don't understand that why we're so anti warm up a car. I think warming up a car, not only does it, I believe as a mechanic that it will extend the life of the car, all right? I, I think that's better for it. You get the fluids moving. But I also think it's a life and death situation in certain cold weather issues where it's, you know, it, it, it's 12 below. You go out and start the car, and I have seen cooling systems fail as a result of just sitting in cold weather, and you're two blocks from the house. You don't have that car warmed up. All of a sudden, something opens up and something breaks, now you're going to be in a frozen car, two, three, four, five, ten blocks from home, two miles from home. Are you going to really walk in that weather? So don't you want to find out that there's a cold weather issue that developed overnight from that car sitting outside when you're two feet from the garage door and a fresh hot cup of coffee? So no, no, absolutely. You know, so I like your idea about the block warmer. It'll cut down. That would cut down on warm-up time, but it'll also uh, help take better care of the vehicle in the cold weather. Cold weather is very unforgiving. All right, sir? All right. Hey, I appreciate it, Ron. You're very welcome. You take good care. Um, right. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of you know, cold weather, ugh, but I, I just don't understand this. And I know everybody's going to tell me that I'm crazy and I'm, it's unnecessary. But you know what? Warming up a car, to me, clear-cut advantage. It, it really does have a... Uh, I, I think it's I think it's a, a, a help to the car, and I think it is a, a safety issue that we don't take into consideration. And I remember seeing the picture where they talked about it, and they said, hey, we're going to start writing tickets if you warm up your car longer than three minutes in New Jersey. The car they showed you the picture of was encased in ice. How are you going to say? How, how are you going to say? So what, we're going to make some of the rules apply some of the time for some of the people? Yeah, I don't think so. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, we're back right after this. Back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. Let's get over to Brian in Minnesota, 09 Buick Lucerne. Brian, welcome aboard, hello. sir. What's going on? Hello, Ron. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is uh, about my parents' Buick. Um, the power door locks, the only one that works off the button on the door or the fob is the driver's door. Okay. And uh, they've, they've had the car for probably three or four years now. Um, and... Uh, it's it's just it's always been that way, right? And they got it with I don't know, probably seventy, sixty, seventy thousand miles on it. But uh, yeah, it's just you know they're in their they're in their eighties, and it's just kind of a 
pain for them to have to sure. be turning and yeah. reaching. Yeah, and just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's 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 never it's never worked as intended, and nobody's ever really diagnosed it. Right. All right. So let's fix it. Um, we yeah. need we need a scan tool. And I'll say it like this: okay. we, need, we need a scan tool. We need to be able to go into uh, vehicle systems and look clearly at the BCM, the body computer. And okay. you know, are there any fault codes? There will be fault codes for problems such as this, because okay. w what I think your fault is going to be, I think what you're going to find is you've got one bad door lock switch, okay. and and it's disabling the rest of the ones in that line. So you know, you can maybe start by looking at a wiring diagram, pull it up, and see who's got priority, or if you can bring up a scan tool, and you should be able to do two things with the scan tool. Well, three things. Scan it for codes. Do you have any codes pointing towards um, you know, one, one switch or another? Number one. Number okay. two, uh, using the scan tool, there should be a data PID, and it may take an OE-level tool, um, something that's equivalent to what the dealer has. Uh, it may work in aftermarket, but you're looking for if you hit the door lock button, do you see a change of state on the tool? If the tool okay. doesn't record change of state, then the command is never being made, sent to the BCM, which tells us we either have a wiring or we have a switch issue. All, po all, right. all possible. All right. Okay. Uh, last, yeah. last, because it is kind of you know it is kind of strange to consider that all three door locks actuators would go bad. Can we right. command any one of the door lock actuators using a scan tool by directional control? Oh. Right. Okay. You know, can yeah. we? Can we? You know, does does the left rear and the and the right front work, but not the right rear? Could the right rear be shorted and bring down the bus? Yeah, I don't think so. Usually, it was a switch that took out multiple actuators. But you know, I learn something new every day. But that's that's basically how I would diagnose it. All right. Okay. I would I would I would yeah. approach it from that perspective. Uh, I think the other thing to just think about when you find that it's signal or it's a shorted it's a shorted wiring harness problem not switch related not actuator related i always think about on a used vehicle do i see signs of water intrusion anywhere do i have do i have a a, a soppy soggy connector do i see signs of bodywork somewhere that maybe something wasn't assembled properly and i find the connector that's corroded or you know, not assembled properly because it is kind of right. unusual it is an unusual failure i guarantee you that i give you that yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I've seen it where it, it's one, and you can usually figure out it's an actuator right. or something like that. Right. But uh, right. these three, it's just—it's really kind of an odd deal. Oh, right. we'll we'll do that, and you know? and uh, thank you very much for that. And say, I got a little comment on the warming up issue. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, now wait, a minute. this is from a guy. This is from a guy in Minnesota, so I want to I want to clarify right. that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I grew up farming, and uh, tell you what. It was ingrained in me very early on. And my dad, um, he's 83. He'll be 83 here in a month. But he has farmed his whole life. And one thing that's been, that was ingrained in me is you always, when you start up the equipment on the farm, tractors, whatever, you let them warm up. If you don't, you're asking for problems. And you want the fluids warmed up, everything moving the way it's supposed to. And... I view my vehicles the same way. Yep. Yeah. It's... <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's just, I want to know everything's working, everything's warmed up and ready to get on the road. I just don't assume it and get out there and get going. It's like a pre-flight checklist. You know what? They they warm up every plane before it takes off. And yep. it, you know what? Why aren't we warming well, up a car? Well, I'll tell you what. Show me an athlete that doesn't warm up and stretch and go through 
everything they need to go through to get ready to do what they're going to do, right. what's ahead of them, right. you know, and say just real quick, I'm an aircraft mechanic, and speaking of airplanes, I uh, depending on what I'm on what I'm doing at work, uh, lots of times I'll be playing your podcast, and uh, it's amazing how quiet. There's other people who might have a radio or a phone on playing some music pretty soon. Things get shut off, and people are listening to you. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, it's, and I, uh, I, I've told so many people about you, and I've also told a lot of people about Casey. I sent you an email here a week and a half or so ago about that, and uh, uh, just had a recent experience with my uh, 05 uh, Yukon yeah. and blue head gasket, and that's uh, what I assume it was. And I lost a little over two gallons of coolant just going maybe about 14 miles getting it home got some case he'll put in it 10 minutes later it's gone <clears throat> and i bet you it's going to work yeah. for a good long time oh yeah um, i'm sure and i've told yeah. people at work about it i know three or four different guys that have tried it at work yeah it's, and, and uh, they just yep still going still, still going. going it's a good yeah. product hey listen so, i yes it I, is. I, I i give you a lot of credit brian you know my dad was an airline mechanic back in the war and i still remember the stories and i still remember some of the uh some of the wisdom he handed down to me, and he said, you know, re remember working on an aircraft's a little different than a car. He said, you can't get out at 10,000 feet and check the carburetor, and I never forgot that. <laughs> he said, and you can't get out on the side of the road on the New Jersey Turnpike and change a flat safely. So he said, make sure in either case both of them are in good shape, and, I, you know, I kind of remember yep. that. Um, I, was old, I was 10 or 11. So, hey, you have a good rest of the weekend, Brian. You need something. We're here for you. You as well. Thank you so You're much. You're very welcome. You take good care. God bless. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Car Doctor. Real quick, if you get out to All Data, alldata.com, or just Google search All Data News, check out an article in their most recent newsletter, Firing on All Cylinders. It talks about a running compression test and what a great tool it is for diagnosing misfires on vehicles, density misfires. It takes you through step-by-step. Step. It's um, got a nice chart involved and a very good thorough explanation on what to look for and some examples of what a running compression test actually does for diagnosing misfires on vehicles. You'll find that out at uh, alldata.com under their All Data News uh, email, uh, e-letter, e as they put out every month. So uh, thanks to them for that. Let's get on over and talk to Brad Long Island with some questions about uh, batteries and electric vehicles. Brad, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? How are you doing, Ron? Long Good, time sir. listening. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate I was you being wondering, here. Uh, you know, with the, they're pushing the electric cars the whole nine yards. Right. I mean, I'm on Long Island. It could be 90 degrees at 8 o'clock in the morning up until 7 o'clock at night. It might be raining. I got the AC on. I got the wipers going. The lights might be going. Are these cars figured for that? Yeah, they are. I, you know, they are until they're not. You know, it's I, I, I was chuckling, not chuckling, laughing at the scenario, but chuckling that, you know, here's it's like we're on the learning curve when back in the summer. I don't know if you saw the story out in California that the police were engaged in a high speed chase against some criminals, some, you know, pursuees and. Uh, the car lost. The guy ran out of juice. The guy ran out of juice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they they had to call in an internal combustion vehicle uh, or another electric you, vehicle. You were talking to a woman a while back, and she had bought a, a, probably a Lexus. You know, the base price was thirty thousand, and she said she got the extended battery and a couple other options. It was a Tesla. Car up to, it, was, right. it was red. The a red, Tesla. The red Tesla lady at the Christmas party right. two years ago where we went, well, and right. you know she was into that car for almost sixty grand, if not a little bit right. more. And, 
You know, I see Teslas everywhere now. We're seeing more and more of them. Um, sure. I, I, you know, I think, Brad, the problem is I think a lot of the testing for a lot of the new technology is being done out in the field. I don't think they can account for every scenario, every possibility. It's, it's, a lot, it's a lot like, to me, in my mind, it's a lot like the way they're testing driverless vehicles. You know, if you if you Google search driverless trucks, you'll see there's some interesting stories that come up Arizona, New Mexico, where they're supposed to be running driverless 18-wheelers or, you know, trucks of some size. Yeah, try that at a long expressway. Well, right. And try that, <laughs> try that where a cognitive thought process is required on a 24-7 instantaneous basis. Right. And, uh, you know, I think electric vehicles have their place. Why a postal vehicle's not electric? Why a garbage truck's not electric? Why a UPS driver's truck is not electric? Vehicles that have a predictable drive cycle on where they're going to go. Right. If they know uh, they're going 30 miles a day, that's it. Right. And that it's all calculated out. I don't subscribe to this school of thought. Uh, Tesla. Okay. So everybody's going to, everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people, define a lot, are going to have electric vehicles. Like I've said. Go to Cape Cod. There isn't a supercharger electric uh, charging station from Tesla up on the Cape. And what do you do with that? Okay, you charge the vehicle eight hours overnight in the house that you're staying in. Uh, you know, but what if what if in the middle of the night you get a kidney stone attack and you got to go to the hospital and you're out in the boondocks? I, I think there and you can't sit there and say, well, Ron, that's an extreme condition. No, Emer no, it could happen. Uh, emergencies and accidents. You know what? Look, look. Look in the guidelines. Tell me when the next emergency or, or, or accident is going to happen. You don't know. That's why it's an emergency or an accident. It's an unknown. And we're, we're setting ourselves up for a failure. So is the idea that everybody's going to have an electric vehicle and a gasoline-powered vehicle? Uh, then what's the point? Yeah. We're still going to have gas for a long right. time. Right. We're going to have gas for a long time. We're going to have gas through my lifetime. Uh, With you know, mine also. <laughs> right. And I think we're going to have it. Our kids are going to see it. I don't think it's going to completely disappear until... And then you get into the economy question, and I say this all the time. What is the economy? How are we going to run an economy not based on oil? Because that's that's where we've set ourselves up. I forget who I was talking to, but they were explaining to me, and I, I didn't go back and research it to see if it's true, but I'll say it, that back in the 1915, 1916, somewhere around that era, we had the ability, we were running electric vehicles. And then somebody discovered this black oily stuff coming out of the ground. They said, "Oh, we'll use this instead. Why not?" Yeah. Uh, you know, so there was there, it was there was some politics involved, and as you can imagine, um, you know, I remember back. I remember the stories that back in the day when gasoline engines were first out there, gasoline was so cheap it was three, four cents a gallon, five cents a gallon. They were giving it away. You know, it was just you know buy some dishes, get a free gallon of gas, that kind of thing. Oh, you still get steak knives at Shell gas station. Right. It's getting so the full tank. So you know, I just I just think that the electric vehicle it has its place. I just don't think that in this economy, at this technology level, at this date and time, it's a hundred percent feasible or, or or desirable. And uh, and we'll leave it there. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. 
Welcome back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. By the way, a quick shout-out and a welcome, and thanks for having us. The folks at WZXI down there, I believe it's Lexington, Kentucky. We're now uh, in the Kentucky market as well in, uh, in Lexington, and uh, we're glad to be there. Uh, the Lexington Metro, whether we're in a smaller area, but WZXI, thanks for having us, and uh, we're glad to have you as well, everyone from Kentucky. So uh, give us a call at some point. Hey, let's go over to uh, Mike in Maine, 12 Hyundai Sen- Accent. I'm sorry, <laughs> not a Sonata, an Accent. Mike, welcome, sir. What do you got? Thank you, Ron. Uh, for about two months, I, uh, my uh, check engine light was coming on. It would stay on for a little while, go off, come on for a little while, go off. And I thought it was a gas cap issue. But one day when I was out in the car, it all of a sudden started flashing. And okay. once it did, the car started bucking and coughing and choking. And, okay. uh, so it's got a misfire or something, yeah. baby it all the way home. Right. Uh I took it to a dealer, and they said I need uh, a new engine. All right. But you, two weeks ago on your show, you were talking about some car, and it was the same thing, you know, that was happening. And you mentioned uh, an additive that you used, and because I was driving, I couldn't copy it down or whatever, and I was curious what that was. Right. We were talking, for that vehicle, we were talking about Berryman Fuel System Cleaner with Hest, with their high-energy solvent technology, their, their, their decarbonizing cleaner, okay. which if you get out to, um, I believe it's um, BerrymanProducts.com, there's actually a video there that shows and explains, uh, you know, the value of Hest and what it does, and uh, there's a real nice, v- neat video where they uh, they show you other fuel system additives, and then the last one has Hest in it, or their fuel system cleaner, and it dissolves the styrofoam cup, which makes you think about what it does to varnish and carbon, so you can <laughs> find that, uh, yeah, pretty caustic stuff, right, but it, it works. Now, to the point, uh, you know, how many miles are on this Hyundai? 230,000. Okay, so it's out of warranty because the 10-year, 100,000-mile yeah. warranty um, yeah. it doesn't doesn't it, apply either. It still starts up. Right. It runs fine, right. you know, for a small short trip. Right. But that runs smooth. And, you know, the check engine light is on, but it's not flashing or anything. And I wouldn't trust it on a trip to Boston, but I'm just curious if I could, you know, try that and uh, maybe. Like, like my mother said, it couldn't hurt. Yeah, um, yeah, you know it's going to cost you the price of a can. If if you have an O'Reilly Auto Parts by you, if not, you can find it online at O'ReillyAuto.com and send. Oh, they a, and, they sell it. Go ahead. O'Reilly. Yeah, they sell it. O'Reilly sells it. Oh, okay, uh, excellent. You know you can you can get it there. Um, you know, just just my question is, what are they saying failed in the engine? That it needs an engine would be my next. Uh, one of the cylinders. Okay, so so well. So it they lost, said the number four cylinder. Number four cylinder lost compression. Did did they say how, or it's just low compression? They didn't say. Okay. Um, do you have the car back? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 the price of a can of cleaner. And, <laughs> Excellent. You know, it's it's for the ten fifteen bucks, whatever it is. It's you give it a shot, and uh, if not, then you kind of know what your next step is. It's either go shopping for a car, swing a motor, and drive it another two hundred thousand miles. Right. So, right. You know, hey, thanks uh, a lot, Ron. You're I very appreciate welcome, it. Sir. You're very welcome. Glad to be there for you. Um, and sometimes you got to go for the Band-Aid in a can. And I get it. I, I get how that might insult some people, some of the other guys fixing cars, like Ron. Why would you say that? Because it works. I mean, there's moments. You know, the the opening of the first hour today, we were talking about brakes and how brakes seem to be the the thing everybody sells. Everybody seems to need brakes. I never, I've never had more people in the last six, seven months come in. I need brakes, and they're coming to us for a second opinion, and you don't need brakes. Uh, you know, and, and the funny part is, 
and, and you know, one of the people I was talking about prior, Betsy with her Camry, was she was told she needed brakes. She needed tires. That was the bigger issue. The tread bars were all worn down to their indicators, and she needed tires. And tires are just as important as brakes. Why are we selling one and not the other? Why are we selling it wrong? Uh, you know, the relationship with your mechanic is absolutely got to be in the top five with people today. You know, you've got to have a good relationship with your mechanic, with your plumber, with your lawyer, with your doctor, with yourself and your family. And um, I think that's what life's all about. Hey, I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.